The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. When Richard Carno was reported missing by his wife, the case took a shocking turn when he was found strangled to death in his car near a trailer park in Las Vegas. A trail of evidence eventually led police to those closest to Richard, his wife and her brother. But they both would end up pointing the finger at each other for his murder. Hi, I'm Vinnie Politan, and welcome to the Court TV Podcast. This week's episode features an audio edition of our original series, Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall. This episode is titled Family Feud. This is the Court TV Podcast. Richard would never leave me. We have four kids. An emergency. Um, I, I think I found a dead body. Okay, where are you at? I am at Comstock Trailer Park, and he's sitting in a, in a small green car. Richard Carno was the rock that his wife Suzanne leaned on. When they met, she had two children. He had one. Together, they adopted a son, and by all accounts, his family was everything to Richard. But in February of 2002, he was found dead next to a trailer park. How could the joyful life of this blended family unravel so completely? It was a mystery that had Las Vegas written all over it. Las Vegas is known as the city of second chances. It's a place where people come to start over again. But it's also a place where many, many people destroy their lives. People get enamored with the city and they end up going down a path of self-destruction. Richard liked women, but he was shy. And Suzanne seems to be the kind of individual that she will come up with a plan and she will proceed and she will go after the object of her interest. Suzanne worked at the daycare where Richard dropped his son off. They weren't supposed to date the parents, okay, and he was a single parent, and she admitted that she stalked him. She goes, that's going to be my next husband. Suzanne came from a Mormon background. Richard was a Christian background. She was a little more abrasive than Richard was, a little stern. Everyone uniformly describes Richard as a great guy, loving, caring, but Suzanne was the shot caller. She bossed Richard around. She told her parents that there was a surprise birthday party at TGI Fridays. She stood up in the middle of this restaurant and said, hey, is there somebody in here that can marry me? Somebody dared me to marry this man right here, right now. And obviously she had somebody in the room that would perform the service for him. That's how she got her parents to come to her wedding. She had prearranged this. I was the best man at his wedding. I knew a little bit about his life with Suzanne. We'd see each other here and there around town, and they seemed happy. Both of us worked at Caesar's Palace. I was in facilities. He was outside lighting technician for the hotel. When Richard Carnell first went missing, it didn't really make the radar. Okay, you know, there's 
thousands of people who go missing in Las Vegas every year. They often go missing because of drugs or alcohol or they're running away from their life. But in this particular case, Richard was a very stable guy, always showed up to work on time. And so when he didn't show up to work that day, everyone knew something was wrong right away. You know, Richard just wasn't the type of guy who would go AWOL at his job. I was working at a radio station and I just come into work early morning and the morning show told me they were speaking to Suzanne on the phone while they're doing the morning show and that she was hysterical. So I took the call and she was out of her mind saying over and over again, I need these people too. Bring him back. Just bring him back. At 520, his boss called wondering where Rich was. He hadn't shown up for work. In a panic, Suzanne called around. Still, no sign of her husband. Richard always goes to work. If the sun comes up, Richard goes to work. Always. She then searched the route that Rich drives to work every single day. Still nothing. She called the cops, filed a missing persons report. But Richard would never leave me. I knew right away there is something incredibly wrong. So I called my friend at Crime Stoppers and I asked him, I just point blank said this was way out of the ordinary. And my friend at Crime Stoppers said, let me put some feelers out, see what's going on. And so of course that whole day I'm beside myself just praying that he's okay. And then the next day I learned that he wasn't. Emergency. Um, I, I think I found a dead body. Okay, where are you at? I am at Comstock Trailer Park. Okay. The police get 911 calls, and that is how we ultimately discover the body in this trailer park. A person walking past this car early Thursday morning called police after noticing a man's lifeless body slumped in the passenger seat. Metro detectives say the death is suspicious. It appears upon viewing in the vehicle that the uh, subject died as a result of some type of foul play. The victim is identified as 36-year-old Richard Charles Carno. I got a phone call that Richard was found and he was dead in his car. Just drained out of me. It just drained. It was unbelievable. And he's sitting in a, in a small green car. He's on the passenger side. He has a bag over his head. He was found in his car. People have described this as kind of a scene out of a horror movie with a bag over his head, slits where his eyes were, duct tape and rope around his neck. It was just really, really disturbing what he must have gone through. And then Suzanne Carno went on the local news. Somebody has to see something. Somebody has to know something. She ranted in a hysterical fashion about who could have done this to her husband. And it was an appearance that captivated people. I couldn't sleep, because we always touch your feet at night. I couldn't find his feet in the bed. It was devastating 
anyone who knew him. He was such a kind, wonderful, happy person. This case has all the elements of drama. For one, we have a number of mysteries. Who is the killer? Who done it? Who is the victim? Is the victim involved in something that might have made him a target? Is he involved in some underworld? So I called my friend that worked for Metro, and I go, what's going on, whatever? I'm on my way to Richard and Suzanne's house, like any good friend would do. You go help the family out in a time of need. So he did a little digging. He called me back, and he goes, don't go. I'm like, what? He goes, do not go. I go, why? He goes, she's a suspect. When they processed the bag over Richard Carno's head, there was a fingerprint on that bag. All-around nice guy and family man Richard Carno had been found murdered next to a trailer park in a rough section of North Las Vegas. Police immediately began to focus on the person closest to him, his wife Suzanne Carno. But at this point in the investigation, there are far more questions than answers in Richard's death. At the viewing, they expected 150, maybe 200, and they probably had 500 people there. It, it was overwhelming, which made me feel good that that many people showed up. He had that many friends that cared about him. I walk in to the funeral and I see Suzanne put her baby on Richard's chest because it was an open casket. And they're snapping pictures with the baby on his chest. And I, I did not know what to do. <laughs> I was horrified. was a really important fact that was recovered from the crime scene, which was when they processed the bag over Richard Carno's head, there was a fingerprint on that bag. They ran that print, and it came back to James Walsh. James Walsh lived in the trailer park where the vehicle was found that contained the, the dead body of, of Richard Carno. James Walsh told the police that John Brian Ray drove into the trailer park in an old, green, beat-up old car. And there was this really curious experience where he looked out of his trailer, and he kind of saw that the windshield was covered behind the blanket that was over the windshield. And he saw a man in the front seat, and the man had a bag over his head and duct tape around his wrists. So James challenged John Ray. What in the world is going on? You're driving into this trailer park with a guy restrained in your front seat, then you come into my trailer like nothing's happening? And John Ray immediately threatened James Walsh and said, you know, if you ever tell anyone about this, I'm gonna kill you. And he got real specific. So I'm gonna rape your sister, blow up your trailer, a little bit of explosives would blow up a whole trailer. John Walsh is immediately suspicious and he's thinking about a conversation that he'd had when he was watching the movie Casino with John Ray. And John Ray, out of nowhere, says, yeah, referencing a scene in the movie, I'm involved in a mur murder for hire plot, or words to that effect. John Ray had told him that he was going to do a murder for hire, and he was going to be coming into $50,000. He is basically confessing to James Walsh about this crime he intends to commit. James Walsh 
dismisses that. As humans tend to, we tend to think, oh, he couldn't possibly mean that. They started to look into this a little bit more and try and figure out who John Ray was. John Brian Ray is a, for lack of a better term, a lowlife. He has a long criminal history, assault, drugs, kind of living a vagabond lifestyle, going from couch to couch and hanging out with people, smoking meth. And there's also one very important fact about John Brian Ray. He's Suzanne Carno's brother. Richard expressed that he did not care for John, Suzanne's brother. They, they were not buddies whatsoever. He didn't have a liking for him. John Ray was a tough guy. You know, and he wanted to cast that image to others, especially people who were traveling in the circles that he traveled in. You know, it was a badge of honor to be known as a bad guy. A week after Karna was found dead, an arrest was made. Suzanne's brother, John Ray, was taken into custody. Now a new twist in this case. During John Ray's arraignment, prosecutors talked of a possible motive for the murder, money. When you look at what's happening, it's hard to imagine people were just acting individually here. And I'm sure as police investigated, they started to piece all of these things together, and that's where their investigation took them. The police received an anonymous call telling them that they really needed to look into Suzanne Carno. They served search warrants on Suzanne Carno's computer and phone and found that the devices had been reset. Suzanne, she was organized enough to wipe her computer so it's back to the default settings, but of course that, when it's examined, itself is suspicious. They also learned that John Ray worked as a security guard and that he had a work computer, so they went and grabbed that computer, and they found a treasure trove of emails. And they were bizarre. Suzanne Carno talked to her brother about building a bookshelf for $50. And it was this steady stream of emails. Are you going to build this bookshelf? Are you going to get it done? I'm tired of waiting. One can only think that she's thinking somehow she's speaking in code. How long is this going to take? And are you finally going to get this done? Or do I have to look for someone else? And is $50 okay? It's obvious to investigators that she wasn't talking about a bookshelf. She was talking about soliciting the murder of her husband. And the police ultimately concluded that this was code for the murder for hire. Have you killed Richard yet? What is taking you so long? If you don't do this, I'm going to get someone else to do it. You know, when you start mapping it out and putting it all together, it made for a very dark picture of Suzanne hiring her own brother to kill her husband. Her lawyer won't talk about what's in the indictment, but she will talk about a plea. I'm not guilty. Not guilty. Simple as that. She didn't do anything wrong. Suzanne had this all figured out that if she was the grieving widow, they would stop looking into her. I live less than a mile from the cemetery where he was buried. And I would come home from work, and she would be laying on Richard's grave every day in sympathy or whatever she was looking for, or look at me, you know, I'm the grieving widow. In my opinion, Suzanne was 100% role playing. They adopted a baby two years into their marriage. That put them in a financial strain. The family was in a great deal of debt, something like 
$30,000 worth of credit card debt, for example. Las Vegas police looking into the death of Richard Carno focused their investigation on digital evidence found on Suzanne Carno and John Ray's computers and phones. Police soon discover that all was not what it appeared to be in the Carno marriage. Suzanne Carno loved to spend money, and she swiped the credit cards every day, buying stuff that they didn't need and ultimately racked up tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt. They adopted a baby probably two years into their marriage, baby Jack. That was her goal, was to have another child. She had two already, he had one, so they were a blended family. That put them in a financial strain to adopt this child. The family was in a great deal of debt, something like $30,000 worth of credit card debt, for example. August, uh, prior to the, the, the death in the, in the following uh, January, Suzanne Carno arranged for herself and for her husband to take out $500,000 insurance policies. In any murder for hire case, the question comes up, well, why does this person want this other person killed? And one of the oldest motivations in the world is financial. Richard and Susan's marriage was in trouble. You know, he, he'd been talking divorce. He was thinking about getting out. In Suzanne Carno's mind, I think she had uh, cooked up what she thought was a, a bulletproof scheme. Suzanne Carno arranged for herself and for her husband to take out $500,000 insurance policies for the same amount. Obviously, it looks a lot worse if the surviving spouse is the only, only beneficiary. So I think that was part of the plan. Months before Richard Carno was found murdered, Suzanne had taken a class at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. It was a psychology class that focused on near-death experiences. And uniformly, everyone in the class remembered Suzanne Carno. She had blurted out during a class that her husband had been in an ice skating accident. He had been hospitalized, the family had stuck by his side, and that he had ultimately succumbed to these injuries. Everyone was heartbroken over Suzanne's story. Oh my goodness, this poor woman, she lost her husband in an ice skating accident. It's kind of a curious thing why she would do this, and it's almost as though she was auditioning a test run for the murder that was to follow. It backfires because she's not as clever as she thinks, and people remember. Her classmates and the professor from the class are watching the television news. Lo and behold, there's Suzanne Carno talking about the murder of her husband. Things weren't adding up. Why would they do that to our family? We don't do anything. We don't drink. We don't go out. We drive little cars. We don't drive expensive cars. We don't have expensive things. And why would they do that to my family? Why my husband? Ultimately, a classmate of Suzanne's and the professor called the authorities and reported that, hey, this woman who's talking about her husband being murdered had just months earlier talked about her husband dying under completely different circumstances, and it's highly suspicious, and you need to look into Suzanne because none of this makes any sense.
when uh, Suzanne Carno said that she talked to her brother and she explained to her brother that Richard was gone, her brother said, oh, I'm sorry that he's dead. And Suzanne Carno told the police she thought that was odd because, you know, he was just missing. And what's interesting about that conversation is it looks already as though Suzanne is setting up her brother. And that's not going to be missed by investigators. When they went to Suzanne and talked to her about could your brother possibly be involved, she told them that, well, John hated Richard. There appears to be some bond between the brother and the sister that led to, to murder. Suzanne Carnell, I think, was hedging her bets. I think she selected her brother because she thought he could easily be manipulated. But at the same time, I think she thought if push came to shove, she could also throw him under the bus. So I think they had a very complicated relationship. James Walsh was never arrested in this crime. The police did not believe that he committed this homicide. Ultimately, it was Suzanne Carno and John Ray who were responsible for this. I think when the prosecution was looking at this case, I think they decided the brother and sister were the two most likely suspects. And I think the case was a lot stronger if James Walsh was a witness rather than a defendant. You had a upstanding citizen who was abducted and murdered in a very cruel fashion. You had a brother killing a man on behalf of his sister. And then ultimately, what sent this case into the stratosphere was Suzanne's behavior. It was just so strange and so weird and so over the top that people were like, what is this? Who is this woman? Why is she always on TV and acting so frantically? And then to find out that she was up to her ears in this crime, and it drew a lot of attention to the case. Residents of that community saw Richard. He'd managed somehow to break out of his captivity and flee, and there was a brief fleeting moment where he could have been saved. He was saying, let me go. That was all I heard. Two years after Richard Carno was found suffocated next to a trailer park, his wife, Suzanne Carno, and her brother, John Brian Ray, are in a Clark County court facing first-degree murder charges. Prosecutors are trying the brother and sister together. They paint Suzanne as the mastermind of a plot to collect a half-million-dollar life insurance policy on her husband. A guilty verdict could result in the death penalty for both siblings. Two years ago, a sister, very anxious to get a hold of her brother, sits down at her computer and sends an email. Get it done right away. I'm going nuts waiting. If you're not going to do it, just tell me and I will either do it myself or find someone who will. Just tell me either way. I want this done and I'm tired of waiting. A few weeks after that email was sent, the body of Richard Carno found in his vehicle at a location by a trailer court in Las Vegas. John Ray sat in the courtroom and he was very emotionless. I think he had a troubled childhood from what I know. Growing up, I think he was uh, into drugs and alcohol from what Richard had told me. So he had, he had a troubled youth and, and I don't think he ever grew out of that. So Suzanne sat in the courtroom. In my opinion, she was very unaffected by this. I, I believe she thought she was going to be found not guilty. 
As the fact finders here, what we're going to be asking you to do, ladies and gentlemen, is to find the truth of this case. And the truth of this case that will win out over the deceit here is verdicts of guilt of murder of the first degree against John Brian Rand and Suzanne Carnell. And that will bring justice in this case for the victim, Richard Carnell. Thank you. John and Suzanne were tried together. So ultimately, you had a brother and sister pitted against one another. They got down to blaming each other for this crime, that possibly Suzanne did it on her own with the help of James Walsh. Or maybe John did it, and Suzanne didn't have anything to do with it. To put it simply, the evidence will show you that Suzanne Carno cooked up a scheme to kill her husband, to get rid of this man that she didn't love and that she thought was boring, to solve her financial problems, to line her pockets with cash. And when John Bryan wouldn't do it, she found someone else who would. And that individual, James Walsh, when confronted by police, were very quick to blame John Bryan Ray. The whole dynamics of the, of the trial are quite fascinating, and it brings to mind something of a, a prisoner's dilemma situation. The brother and sister did not align their defenses. And in fact, they were actually making accusations against each other. And then for good measure, they decided to throw James Walsh into the mix. Growing up, there was a, a show that came on once a year called The Wizard of Oz. Remember that show? And the wizard was a fake and a fraud, and he was behind the curtain. And he would say, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. James Walsh is going to come in here and sit right here behind this curtain. I beg you. Pay attention to the man behind the curtain. The man who's only, there's one set of fingerprints on the bag. They're not John Bryan Ray's fingerprints. They're not Suzanne's fingerprints. They belong to James Walsh. The only just verdict in this case will be not guilty on behalf of Ms. Carno. An emergency. Um, I, I think I found a dead body. Okay, where are you at? I am at Comstock Trailer Park. Okay, there's what, a... Okay, just a second, take a deep breath. Okay. I know, I feel like yeah. I'm gonna throw up. Okay, okay. what is your name? Kim Eckle. James Walls was a seller of methamphetamine, was he not? Yes. And it was also James that first noticed that there was a body in that car, correct? Yes. Okay. When we were walking up to the store, there was a car lot a makeshift car lot there and we were looking at the cars on the way through and there was a car parked on the side of the road in front of the lot and that's when james said there was a body in the car what did you see i saw a body kind of not sitting up straight but kind of slumped over i didn't really see his face i thought there might have been something over it and he appeared to be bound i we turned around and because i Kind of freaked out a little bit. It's my first time seeing something like that. And uh, went back and I called 911. It was James that drew your attention to that vehicle. Yes. That morning, how would you describe James James's reaction? Nervous. Thank you. That's all I have. This isn't a rough part of town, all right? This isn't the Las Vegas Strip. This is the other side of Las Vegas. It's a very tough neighborhood, and it is a place where people don't necessarily always call the cops when they see something suspicious happening. Now, let me direct your attention to about 5 o'clock in the evening, January the 30th, 
of 2002, did you have occasion to see someone running past your trailer? Yes. Um, tall, white male running towards the exit. Okay. Did you notice anything unusual about the tall, white man who was running? Mm, yes, he's scared. Okay. Did he have anything on him that caused you to take note or make note of it? Yes, um, the, the, the duct tape. Okay. Where did you see duct tape? Around his wrists and ankles. Did you see a second individual? Yes. And what is that second individual doing when you first see him? Escorting him, like, back to James' house. There were several witnesses at the Comstock trailer park who reported after the fact seeing a very disturbing sight, which was a man bound at the wrists, running through the trailer park, almost as if he was running for his life. What's so amazing about this is that no one called the police. Did you hear either the tall man or the shorter man say something? Uh, the shorter man said, um, get me my handcuffs. Okay. Did you mention to the police that you heard someone say, give me the handcuffs? I don't think so. Okay. Is there a reason that you didn't tell the police about the handcuffs yes. or, about, or about the uh, car? Yes. What's the reason? Um, I was afraid. Residents of that community saw Richard. He'd managed somehow to break out of his captivity and flee, and there was a brief fleeting moment where he could have been saved had just one person called 911 or taken any action. I saw a man uh, run down the street chasing after, well, one man ran, and then I saw another man kept start running towards him. But the first man who was running towards Las Vegas Boulevard was, he was saying, let me go. That was all I heard. Now, where did you see the two men go? I saw them go to uh, James's house, and he pulled out a set of handcuffs. I saw him take him out of his, his bag. He showed him to me, and then I walked away to my house. What did you think at that time? He was going to try to handcuff me, probably. So I just walked away. I didn't want anything to do with that. No one did anything. No one seized the opportunity to save Richard, the one chance that he could have been saved. And John Ray was able to get control of him, put him back in the vehicle, and ultimately cause his death. Did he give you any further details regarding the contract killing? He had to wait till the life insurance uh, went through. Did he indicate who he was going to do the contract for? His brother-in-law. Okay, was his brother-in-law the one who was going to pay him? No, his sister was going to pay him. The murder trial of Suzanne Carno and her brother John Ray for the killing of Richard Carno exposed Suzanne as the mastermind of the scheme to collect on the insurance policy. Although John Ray abducted and killed Richard, prosecutors presented traumatic testimony showing Suzanne Carno planned the murder. Please state your name and spell your last name for the record. James Allen Walsh, W-A-L-S-H. Thank you, uh, Mr. Schwartz. Thank you. If you're the jury, you're looking at Suzanne Carno blaming her brother. You're looking at John Ray blaming his sister. And then both of them, in a sense, are saying, but, but also James Walsh is involved. 
How would you describe your relationship with John Brian Ray back during that period of time? We were generally? friends. I'm sorry. We were friends. Did you have occasion to watch a movie in your trailer with the defendant, John Brian Ray? Yes, I did. And what was the name of that movie? Casino. And when he made that statement to you about a contract killing, did you take him seriously? No, I didn't. Why not? I thought it was just bullshit. Did he give you any further details regarding the contract killing? He had to wait till the life insurance uh, went through. Did he indicate who he was going to do the contract for? His brother-in-law. Okay, was his brother-in-law the one who was going to pay him? No, his sister was going to pay him. And who was, how was the brother-in-law involved in this? Um, he was the contract. The person to be killed? Yeah. John Ray was cast by James Walsh as an intimidating, threatening, dangerous person who had kidnapped a person, brought him to his trailer, and left him sitting in there to suffer, and then later finished the job. The next door neighbor came and asked if, uh, anyone, if uh, I knew whose car that was. I said no, because John asked me not to say anything about the car. Well, he got out, and he went to my house. And then there was a blanket put over the, the windshield. Get back in there. Does there come a time when you see something inside the car that causes you some concern? Yeah, I saw something that is shaped like someone underneath a blanket in the car. Did it appear to be the shape of a, a person? Yes, it did. I asked him who in the hell was in the car. What did he say, if anything? Um, he said it was his brother-in-law. I told him I was pissed about that, bringing that to my house. And then you stated that he made some threats concerning yeah. your sister? Yes, he did. After abducting Richard according to Suzanne's plan, John Ray, who as an offender in behavioral analysis terms is disorganized, goes to a familiar place. He goes to a trailer park where he stays with James Walsh. Did John Brian Ray ask you to hand, hand him his handcuffs? Yes. And you did, didn't you? Yes, I did. Now, other people saw that, but you didn't see anybody, uh, another man that was being restrained? No, he was sitting in front of my window. He opened the curtain, said, pass him in his handcuffs. I grabbed him, threw him out the window. You have any problems with your vision, Mr. Walsh? No, I don't, but I can't see through a dark green uh, curtain. Can you see me now? Yeah, but you're not past you, the dark can green. Can you see me now? Yes, but you're not behind a dark green curtain, are you? On January the 30th, 2002, an innocent man, Richard Carno, was brutally and cruelly murdered because of the cold, manipulative, and greedy actions of his loving wife, Susan Carno, who used her brother, John Brian Ray, to commit this horrific killing. And the state is confident you will return verdicts finding the defendants, both defendants, guilty of first-degree murder with use of a deadly weapon, guilty of first-degree kidnapping with use of a deadly weapon, guilty of robbery with use of a deadly weapon and guilty of conspiracy to commit murder for the truly senseless and cruel killing of a good man. I'm sure you have learned by now the old adage that we don't get to pick our relatives 
We do, however, get to pick our spouses. And you may not like her. You may find her odd. You may find her offensive. You may find her vulgar. You may find her to be the biggest liar in town. You may find her to be outrageous. Suzanne Carnell did not plot to kill her husband. She did not hire, entice, and beagle, encourage her brother to do anything. At trial, you want to give the impression that you possibly couldn't be somebody who committed some horrible crime. But clearly, we know this fell short because her own attorney in closing arguments said about her that she, she may be odd. She may be offensive. She may be the biggest liar you know. But it doesn't mean she committed murder. Now, what this means is that the defense attorney was started in a deep hole. If the defense attorney is saying those things about her own client, you know that Suzanne Carno was not making a good impression in the courtroom. We don't know beyond a reasonable doubt who killed him, who's responsible for that killing. Ladies and gentlemen, John Ray is no killer. He's kind of a joke. Someone had to close this deal. It wasn't John Ray. Responsibility in this case, ladies and gentlemen, is like sunshine here in the state of Nevada. Plenty of it to go around. Mr. Foreperson, would you um, please read the verdicts aloud? We, the jury, find the defendant John Brian Ray. Two years after John Ray killed Richard Carno at the behest of his sister Suzanne, their trial for first-degree murder came to a close. The prosecution had presented powerful evidence that Suzanne orchestrated the murder to collect on her husband's life insurance policy. Their fate was now in the hands of the jury. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the case is now submitted to you, and our bailiff Hank will be in charge of your deliberation. Let's talk about the outcome of the case. There wasn't the Perry Mason moment where on the witness stand, Suzanne breaks down and confesses, I did it. That seldom happens in real life. The government must prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And reasonable doubt can be created if there's another potential perpetrator. And any defense lawyer is going to say, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Suzanne's the grieving widow. It's this drug-addicted brother-in-law Look at him, because the defense attorney is trying to create just a little bit of doubt, a little bit of uncertainty. Maybe it's, well, maybe it was just a bookcase. There was, after all, a bookcase that John Ray was supposed to build for. Mr. Foreperson, would you please read the verdicts aloud? We, the jury, find the defendant John Brian Ray for count number one, guilty of conspiracy to commit murder. For count number two, guilty of first degree kidnapping. Count number three, guilty of robbery with use of a deadly weapon. Count four, guilty of first degree murder with use of a deadly weapon. State versus Suzanne Carnell. Count number one, guilty of conspiracy to commit murder. When the verdict came down and they were found guilty of murder, John Ray was his usual stoic self, did not blink an eye, showed no emotion. 
Suzanne was the exact opposite. Incredulous. Can't believe this injustice had happened. Deny, 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 until she faced the possibility of being executed. The prosecution brought the family into a like conference room and told us they are taking a deal. And so the death penalty is off the table. Of course, everybody's upset. I'm not a believer in the death penalty, but when it happens this close, you give it a, you give it a thought. Stand up, Miss Carno. Again, uh, what is your true name? Suzanne Carno. Stand up, Mr. Ray. Again, what is your true name? John Brian Ray. And uh, you understand the uh, the sentencing agreement? Yes. You signed this sentencing agreement? Yes, sir. In exchange for the state's uh, recommendation, they're going to recommend life with the possibility of parole. That means you get life uh, with the possibility of parole after 20 years, plus an equal and consecutive life with the possibility of parole after 20 years, which equals 40 years. You understand that? I'm satisfied that the, the sentencing agreement is freely and voluntarily entered. I'm going to file it now, right? Suzanne did admit that she was involved in this, a key participant. She was the person that got it going, and that if the state would not pursue the death penalty, she would abandon all appeals and accept her guilt. The fact that they were found guilty was just such relief for the family, all of us. Suzanne, it turns out, was sexually abusing his son and threatening to kill Richard's son if his son would reveal this. The state went in and via camera, she was in prison, incarcerated. They did a plea deal. She copped to six or seven counts of child molestation versus the 21 or 22 that she was eligible for. We can't know for sure whether Suzanne targeted Richard from the beginning, but by all accounts, it, it appears as though uh, that was the case. I simply Googled Suzanne Carno. This is what I found, a personal ad, and the website is jailhousebabes.com. Can you look beyond my lean, five foot, seven inch, 140 pound body, lightly bronzed by summer's light? Beyond my naturally curly chestnut locks that delicately drape over my shoulders. If you look, you will see I'm an energetic woman who is intelligent, artistic, witty, and charming. Please see me, if you dare. I would say if you see this ad run, because there is something in her that needs to not just get attention, but then cause destruction, in my opinion. Richard Carnell, he was a great guy. He turned out to be a great father. He would come over to my house on the weekends and we'd do daddy-father stuff together with the kids. And um, his heart was in it. He, he loved his child. He was my friend. You know, we may have been divorced, but Richard was my friend. And he was taken away too soon.
John Ray will be eligible for parole in the year 2044 because of the sexual molestation conviction. Suzanne will be eligible in the year 2048. I'm Tamron Hall. Thank you for watching Someone They Knew. There you have it, another audio edition of the Court TV original series, Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall. If you want to stream more episodes for free, they are available on our website. Just check the show notes for a link. And you can see me on Closing Arguments weeknights at 8 p.m. Eastern and on our all-new original true crime series, Accomplice to Murder, with new episodes every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much for downloading, and as always, please don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.